Hola amigos, hello my friends, this is Billy Shane, your bass player, and you're listening to me right here on Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to episode 342 of Focus on Metal. It's kind of a toss-up this week about whether or not we were going to run the second half of the uh, Sylvie Simmons Kerrang! interview or do something a little different. And Richie had a couple of cool chats, and I thought that uh, rather than just go ahead and do Sylvie for two weeks in a row, that uh, we would put something a little different on this week. So this week, as you may have guessed from up front, we have the uh, legendary bass player Billy Sheehan on the show. He'll be talking with Richie about uh, Mr. Big and the uh, Defying Gravity album, as well as the brand new live Winery Dogs release live in Santiago and beyond. And this one was also pretty cool because it actually wasn't part of any kind of a giant press junket for anything in particular. In fact, when uh, when Richie uh, contacted Billy, he wasn't even sure exactly which thing he was going to be doing stuff for, but uh, just happened to be willing to talk to Richie while he was driving to yet another recording session. So uh, pretty cool interview that Richie did with Billy Sheehan. And also this week, if uh, Billy Sheehan wasn't enough, we also have Ollie Brown from uh, Frontiers artist Raven Eye just put out their first one called Nova. So this week is definitely more of a uh, back to the normal focus on metal format, couple of interviews, some music, and uh, of course, track of the week. And track of the week this week comes to us courtesy of Dave Ellefson's EMP Music Group and the brand new one from Broken Teeth called Four on the Floor. Yep, the master of disaster, my old friend, the Reverend Jason McMaster, is back with all of his pals in Broken Teeth, bringing us another 10 tracks of great rock and uh, often uh, this band has been described as a pissed-off ACDC, and definitely a lot of the tracks on this one are very, very old-school ACDC-esque. So if you like the band from Australia, then you are definitely going to like Broken Teeth. If you haven't discovered this band yet, I hope that I'll be filling that gap in for you today. As I said, 10 tracks on here, all straight-out rock and roll, good stuff. And I think that the even the you know the name of the album Four on the Floor, even though it's a title track of one of the songs, that uh, it's definitely that kind of Four on the Floor beat that Phil Rudd used to do for ACDC, and uh, definitely that spirit is alive and well here. And also track ten, they threw in a classic uh, cover of the uh, the Kiss cut Rock Bottom. So as always, hundred percent good stuff from this band. You want to get a hold of them. You can go to uh, Facebook, and uh, that is Broken Teeth Band, or also you can go right to their website, brokenteeth.com. So with that, how about playing you a track of the week off of the new one from Broken Teeth, Four on the Floor, and this week I will be spinning you a little track called House of Damnation.
So as I mentioned earlier, first up this week is the uh, incredible bassist Billy Sheehan. Guys played with David Lee Roth, played with Talis. I mean, played with pretty much everybody, and uh, he's basically just considered to be a legend in the bass community. Definitely one of these guys that when he hit the scene, it uh, made me very happy that I was no longer playing bass and had moved on to guitar because can't compete with somebody like Billy Sheehan, but uh, very busy guy. He obviously just finished up the recording of Defying Gravity with Mr. Big, and now he they are just releasing the Winery Dogs live in Santiago and beyond. Uh, stuff going from 2013 to 2016, so kind of a live, a live DVD as well as a live audio of the show, and then an EP of songs that never got released from the years from 2013 to 2016. So a lot of stuff going on there. And if you want to get yourself a copy of that, you can uh, go up to uh, WineryDogs.com. There's a link there to hop over to Pledge Music and order yourself up a copy of, well, pretty much any part of it that you'd like. You can get digital downloads of the movie as well as the, you know, the audio. You can get a Blu-ray, you, you know, so there are all kinds of little packages you can get there. If you just want the CD, you can get that as well. But good stuff there. So with that, why don't I turn it over to Richie talking with Billy Sheehan. Hello. Is that Billy Sheehan? Yes, sir. Hi, Billy. It's uh, Richie from Focus on Metal calling for the interview. Yeah, yeah. We're good. Okay. Thank you. No problem. So so where are you? You're on the, are you an L.A. guy? Yeah, I'm just driving to a recording session I got uh, happening today. Okay. All right. And uh, I, I, I carved out some time for us to talk. Sure. Excellent. Excellent. So... I'm curious, have you ever done press for two albums from two different bands at the same time? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, which one you know which one we're talking about? <laughs> no, I don't. Which one are we talking about? No, I will talk about both of them. I um, I interviewed Pat Torpy about six weeks ago about Defying Gravity. So uh, I've already <laughs> I've already talked to Pat. So nice guy. I've never spoken to him before. And... Um, I've, you're the, I've spoken to all the winery dogs now. I've spoken to three quarters of Mr. Big. So Eric Martin is the only one I've left. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Pretty soon you'll have the entire collection. Yeah. Well, maybe Eric at some time in the future. But um, so you got the Define Gravity album that's out. Came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, I do remember, I think it might have been Paul, it might have been yourself that said that the stories we could tell was one, probably one of the most difficult albums you did. Was, was this one a lot easier to do? Way easier. Yeah, uh, stories we could tell, uh, we uh, we had to kind of figure out what to do with the situation with Pat. Yeah. We weren't sure what the best route would be uh, to, you know, try programming some stuff, to try, you know, uh, piecing it together. And eventually we got a, a record out of it, but it was tough, and it was a, to me, it's a little disjointed. But uh, so we, one of the options initially that I suggested, well, well, let's get a drummer to come in and do the heavy lifting. And whatever you can play, Pat, you do that. And we'll switch off or whatever else. And I knew a guy here in L.A. that I jammed with a bunch, uh, Matt Sarr, of course. And uh, we, we got together with him uh, to go out and tour on the stories we could tell records. So he... We had to kind of learn those songs, and he did great on it. So we just thought, you know, on the next record, let's just have uh, Matt there and have him do whatever he needs to do, and do have Pat do whatever he can do, and uh, it, it worked out really well. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I don't want to spend too long on, on the Mr. Big album, but one of the things I did talk to Pat about was the gifts over the years he's gotten from the Japanese fans, and he said like. You got CD players and a lot of clothes. Uh, I'm just wondering, Billy, what would be the most extravagant gifts you've gotten from the Japanese fans over the years? Well, I knew a young lady. Her father was the uh, Gucci distributor for Japan, so she would bring me uh, Gucci clothing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I was afraid to ask how much it cost, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they are they are incredibly generous, and it's kind of a tradition in the country to give people. Gifts, uh, gift giving is a tradition of them, and uh, I, I hold them very, very dear in my heart for for many, many reasons. But it was also quite we were, we were quite taken back when we first went there and noticed that uh, you know there were there were all kinds of little presents and gifts, and they're wrapped perfectly too. They're 
you know, they had a special box with a special paper around it and a special thing around that. You open that up, and inside the box is another thing. And it's a, it really, a, a, I, I really suggest if you want to travel to another planet and save this going into outer space, go to Japan. Okay. Yeah, I've always wanted to go there. Have you ever tried to learn much of the language at all? Anyway, fluent in it? No, I'm. Uh, I'm not too good at uh, foreign languages. I, I actually, with all the uh, Western languages, I, I I really study English a lot. It's one of my hobbies that I really work on English, and it helps me to understand all the other languages that are based on the same alphabet. But you know, when it comes to uh, Japanese, Korean, Chinese, Thai, Indian, that have a whole different alphabet, I... I uh, I learned how to say, hello, goodbye, please, thank you, compliment a lady, and order a beer. <laughs> In that order. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah, the, the last Mr. Big question <laughs> I've got, Billy, is, uh, and I asked Pat this, um, what do you think is the most underrated Mr. Big album? Uh, Bump Ahead and Hey Man. Okay. Those two, because, because they came after Lean Into It. Yeah. And I really thought there was some great stuff on each of them. Uh, Promise of the Moon, I thought would have been a, a really big hit. Uh, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Pat said the first album. Yeah, that too. You know, well, that came out in a very crowded field. Everybody kind of, uh, I dare say, followed our lead and got together with other people from other bands and put a band together, similar to how I did Mr. Big. It's funny because they even copied our interviews. I would say, yeah, we're basing the Mr. Big on kind of a, Bad Company Free, Humble Pie, Spooky Tooth kind of a motif. And then I had a couple other guys say, yeah, we're, we're kind of like a Spooky Tooth. And I'd say, name one Spooky Tooth song. <laughs> and they, they had no idea. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was a crowded field we released in. Uh, and uh, in L.A., it's very common that when one band does something, everybody tries to do it, too. And we... Uh, but then after the fact, most of those bands faded away, and we continued on, and we were pleased that we had some success. Yeah. Now, sp speaking of bands that got back together, you'd recently did a Talis reunion after a long number of years. What were the circumstances that led to that? Well, initially we did one back in 1997 because the local radio station in Buffalo was 97 Rock, and they were having their big celebration because it was 97. Yeah. And they asked us to get together. There were two versions of Talis. The original version, that was that one. Uh -huh. Then in 1980. Say again? No, go on. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, uh, the original version uh, uh, made it up to 1983, and then I started a, another version after that. And just uh, last week, we had a reunion of the second version, and uh, it was a, a great time. Yeah, how, how much rehearsal did you actually do for that? Well, we hadn't played together for 32 years, so <laughs> quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. So, of course, I really have you on to talk about the, the winery dogs, the, new, the live album that's coming out, Dog Years, live, the live in Santiago. Um, do you have a say in, in what room the, the album is going to be recorded in? Like, would, would you suggest on certain dates that, you know, I think this might be a good room to record in because you've played there before? It's hard to anticipate because sometimes you can, you go into a place that was unbelievable last time, and this time it's good, but not like last time. And other places you go in, you think, oh, boy, here we go again, and it's unbelievable. So it's really hard to judge sometimes. But uh, generally, any show uh, in South America, Mexico, pretty much in Europe as well, in the U.K., it's going to be a great night. I mean, the audiences are supremely uh, uh, enthusiastic and know all the words. In South America, they sing the solos. So it's, uh, it's pretty it's, it's mind-blowing. So we were pretty sure uh, Santiago, uh, Buenos Aires, maybe Sao Paulo. Uh, but uh, the way the schedule worked out, Santiago was the best option for us. And uh, we got really lucky. Yeah. Do you record numerous shows on the tour or do you just pick one? We had to pick one. That, okay. And that's what gets precarious. It's extra pressure on the band, extra pressure on the crew, extra pressure on the audience. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's uh, I would like to be in a situation where we record a whole bunch of shows. Most great live albums were like that. I got uh, uh, Deep Purple, uh, Made in Japan. I got 
in Japan, I got the bootleg of all the other shows. They did about, I don't know, seven or eight shows in Japan. Mm-hmm. And they picked the best songs for a lot in Japan. Like, I'm not sure if it's been released yet, but years ago, I got all the other versions of the songs that were on there. And it was interesting to see which ones they picked. But it would be nice to have that option. But we, you don't always have the uh, economy to do so. Yeah. When, when I had Mike on the show last year, I, I asked him, how, how does playing with you challenge him as a drummer? So with Mike drumming with you, how does Mike challenge you as a bass player? Well, uh, he, we have an ESP thing going on. I do with most drummers. Most drummers, I kind of developed it early on where I kind of, I watch them really closely and I can kind of almost tell what they're going to do before they do it. And I do the same thing. So Mike and I are always looking at each other because he did this one lick that he's never done before in his life. And I did the exact same structure than what I played and it matches exactly right. So we, uh, we try to get as much of that as possible. And I'm always turning around looking at them, and we're looking at each other like, how did you know? Yeah, but how did you know? And uh, we, we do these little magical little interludes together. But yeah. uh, I play with Mike a lot, and uh, it's it's a riot. It's a blast. He's very entertaining, and, and he's got his shit together. I mean, when you get up on stage with Mike, he knows the songs. He knows what, you know, anytime, any, there's any uncertainty, look at Mike. He knows exactly what's going to happen next. Uh, is there a double chorus here? Look at it. Double chorus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. He knows. He's he's got it. He's got it buried together. Yeah. Has, has, have you and Mike ever gone off somewhere in a live show and Richie looked 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 at both of you and said, "Where are you going with this?" Well, I try. Uh, in in a lot of regards, sometimes I, I because Mike is a, an aggressive player and I'm known to be aggressive too. I actually pull back and I'll start holding low notes and just keeping together, keeping time. So I make a really mark where we are. And so it's not confusing for Richie's, especially because, you know, he's singing and playing. It's uh, it's uh, He's doing double duty. So I want to try to make it as, uh, and we wouldn't do that while he's singing, of course, but, but because he's got so much on his mind, as being the lead vocalist and guitar player, I, I try often to just really make this giant, solid, uh, 18 inches thick concrete foundation underneath them, uh, along with Mike, but, I play I play less, yeah. and uh, just to keep it about what's going on, and it, and it works perfectly. Okay, okay. Can I can I just talk a, a minute about that? You got a you got an EP of unreleased tracks on the deluxe version of this. Can you tell us a little bit about those songs and what album they were recorded for? I'm not sure what they were recorded for. They were all recorded after our first record, uh, but we just were uh, we had some spare time, so. We thought, well, let's lay down some tracks of some songs we love, and maybe we'll finish them. And we finished uh, Moon Age Daydream. Uh, we, uh, we we were, uh, Richie already knew a Fool Around and Fell in Love. Is that on there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I forgot what else was on there, but Moon Age Daydream in particular, we, we had it in the can without vocals, and uh, uh, sadly, when David Bowie passed, Richie went in and, and, and sang the lead on it and did a great job. And then when we played in London, our first time there since David Bowie had passed on, we did that as a special encore. And uh, I was glad to do it. I was a huge fan of David Bowie and that record and that song. So that was, uh, was, uh, I'm glad we had that. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you're coming up with ideas, um, how do you know which ideas will fit Mr. Big and which will fit the winery dogs? And one of the reasons I'm asking is, of course, Richie has played with Mr. Big. So uh, is there a blur of the lines there, or, or do you know, yeah, this is definitely Mr. Big, and yeah, this is definitely Winery Dogs? Yeah, well, Winery Dogs has got a more soulful thing with Richie's playing and singing. It's a quite, quite a great package. Uh, Mr. Big, uh, Eric's a soulful vocalist, but he's more of a uh, more of a pop song uh, artist, which is I love. Uh, Richie, Richie's not in that. Richie's a little darker, a, l- a little bit more uh, in-depth. Uh, uh, Paul, the type of guitarist Paul is, he's, he's a master of so many things, but he's a bright and positive player. Where Richie's, again, is a little darker in his playing. So I, I don't, uh, I know if something's got some major key and some lightness and some, some joy and up positive things, probably gonna head more towards Mr. Big. Or something kind of a little bit darker, it's probably gonna head towards the uh, winery darts. 
Yeah. It's, uh, one of the reasons why this uh, dust was important to me is because specifically because we really couldn't, we can't play that much in Mr. Big because uh, the situation with Pat is such, and I don't want to stress him out or overtax him. So I, I need to play live a lot, and that's uh, I, I live to play live. So when the winery dogs were an option, it really gave me the opportunity to be able to play live a lot more, but still in kind of the format that I love best, which is songs and singing. I'm often curious, Billy, where does the motivation come to still write music? Because the music business now is more or less a complete 180 from when you start. Well, I, uh, even when I was a, an abject failure, I still wrote. And I, you know, I always, it isn't necessarily, I'm not necessarily success oriented or money motivated by any means. I, I just want to, I just want people to enjoy, come out with us and enjoy a night. I may be compensated for it. I may be not so compensated for it. It's never been an issue to me. So um, I, I don't really consider I have much talent. I just consider that I'm, I, I love music so much that it motivates me to work my ass off. And then, therefore, I've been able to get somewhere. So I, I, my motivations are, are really just to make music that I love, that people are going to love, not to pander to them, but I, I want them to enjoy it. And um, so it's not so much I, I'm concerned about the record biz and selling a lot of records. It's not, it's not so much on my mind. Ooh, of course, it would be nice, but that's not really my thing. Yeah. How important do you think live albums are now? Because a lot of people think that, you know, they don't. They definitely don't have the same impact that they used to be with YouTube and, uh, and you know, there's so many different ways to hear live bands now. Like, where, 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 where do you see a live album fitting in today? Well, a lot. It's on YouTube. Was extracted from a live album or a live show, so uh, or much of it is, I think. Uh, no, I just think it's a good way to mark what the band is and what they do, and it may not appeal to everyone. But uh, we're in a great situation where we can put out a record without worrying too much about going broke uh, doing so. Uh, you know, uh, live recording rigs and uh, are way more economical than they used to be. I mean, you used to have to bring in a truck and a mixer and a console and tape machines, and, man, it was uh, crazy to do a live record. Where now, basically, somebody's got a laptop and Pro Tools on it and an interface, you can do a live record. So it makes it a little easier. And I think some people do enjoy, I know I do, I, I enjoy hearing what the, what's going on live with that band, with those songs they record in the studio. Let me hear how, how they actually do it live. Yeah. I mean, it's intriguing, and I'm, I'm a fan, so I think there's probably other fans that feel that way. Yeah, no, of course, you're, you've been on a lot of live albums with Mr. Big. Like, I, I used to be amazed, like, studio album, live record, studio album, live record. Like, that, that used to, that really did amaze me when, when the band started. Like, the Japanese, they just loved the live albums. Well, they always wanted a placeholder since, after we 
finished the tour and went away, they knew we weren't going to be back for about a year and a half or two years, so they wanted something. And so uh, the first time it happened to us, we were on tour with uh, opening for Rush, and they said, well, we need a live album. I said, well, can you record? So we actually uh, recorded the board mix of our show that we did with Rush on a DAT digital audio tape, no longer in existence. And the budget for the record was $7.95 because that's how much the cassette, the DAT cassette <laughs> cost us. And we released it in Japan. It did amazing. And then we also released it in Korea. We sold 350,000 copies of it like in about four weeks. So we, we, we broke, uh, Unfortunately, we were with Atlantic Records, so we, we saw none of that money. But uh, but if it, if it would have been our own, we would we would have been in good shape. It's funny. Yeah, one, one of but the they, live... it was kind of a thing to them. Yeah, one of the live Go albums on. I love, Billy, that you were on, the Mr. Big one. You did an acoustic album, I think, in the late nineties. I think Paul was on it. Um, I can't think of the name of it. I thought it was. I think it was done in the Far East. It was fantastic. Uh, was it a Hard Rock Cafe? Yes, that one. Yeah, I think that was in um, Singapore. Yeah, I believe so. I, I thought that was excellent. It was a little bit different. You know, it wasn't just an electric yeah. show. It's great. I really love when bands kind of do something a little bit left field like that. Yeah, I, it was. A, it was a, we were real lucky. We uh, got to play in a lot of exotic places, and then to record it really is, uh, you know, later on, you know, decades later, you can go back and kind of travel back in your mind, you know? Uh-huh. So, have you ever thought of doing a show like that with the Winery Dogs? Just an, an unplugged show? Sure. Well, we've done a lot of things for radio stations where we go and record stores. We go in just acoustic guitar. Uh, we'd love to. Yeah. Why not? Uh, we sing, we sing and play, and, uh, it doesn't have to be loud. Yeah. So, like, what's the future for the Winery Dogs? Has there been any talk at all about maybe doing a new record after? You finished this Mr. Big run and Richie's finished his solo stuff? Yeah, we're going to... I'm kind of glad we we didn't do the typical album tour, album tour, album tour, album tour, because then you start to get burnt out a little bit. So when we get together again, probably the end of this year after Mr. Big is done, uh, and start to write, you know, we'll have some new adventures to write about and talk about. And, you know, it'll be, it'll be almost like doing the first record over again. We've all lived some lives. Uh, we've uh, played a lot of shows, played a lot of other... T- People come back and it's fresh and new, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the next Winery Dogs record. Yeah, and you're getting a lot of people asking about the uh, Eat 'em and Smile lineup getting back together. Oh, uh, usually about five or six emails a day. <laughs> <laughs> that that many. <laughs> I'm sure there's no update yeah. on that, Billy, but I'm sure you probably get asked about it a lot. Yeah, I, I, you know, who knows? It's up to Dave if he decides to do it. I'm sure we, we'd love to. One show, ten shows, who knows? Uh, even just, even just one time would be, it would be fun because uh, he's still my hero, and uh, I would love to do another show with him and Steve and Greg. Uh, it would be, uh, be a great thing. We'll see. Uh, it, it, it's not we, uh, you know, we 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 got some great memories. And it was an, one of the greatest adventures of my life, probably the greatest adventure of my life. And 
it uh, will always uh, be in the in my heart. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. So, final question for me, Billy. Um, how has your routine changed over the years? Your pre-show routine, because of course, you know, you're getting older now, and um, you know, the, <laughs> you know. So, how how has that changed? Like, do you do, are you a guy that does massages now, or things like that, or what? Or how does that work? No, I I do pretty much the same. I think if you start to give in to getting old, then you get old, and I just don't give into it. You know, maybe something hurts a little bit more, or whatever. I just keep pushing through. You know, I uh, get there early in the day. I set up my a little practice session. Uh, you know, in the dressing room, and I go for a couple hours, do sound check, go back to my practice thing, hear the opening act start. I put my clothes on, and maybe I have a cup of coffee, maybe a sip of beer. We're on stage, hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it come back, and uh, it's pretty much the same thing I've done all along. So I, I, I really love the fact that I can perform. I'm so lucky that I, my health is good. I'm playing with guys that are awesome. There's hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people, you know, uh, on the other side of the wall waiting for me to start the show, and it, it's an incredible thing. So I'm, I do my best to get as, as warmed up as possible and, and play my absolute best for everybody every night. Yeah. And I ignore the pain. Now, I ignore the pain. What's the What's the worst injury you've had playing? Because when I asked Mike, he said he like he did his wrist in at a Dream Theater concert years ago. Have you ever done anything to your fingers I, in the middle of a gig? Not my fingers, but I sprained a, a, a rib. Uh, I, I backed up against the PA cabinet. There was a thing sticking out, and I hit it. And so I had to wrap my rib cage to play shows. And uh, and it felt fine walking up. Then I realized I got to sing, which means I got to breathe in, and I'm and my whole chest is wrapped. So I had a I had a couple of shows where I was pretty short of breath because I couldn't actually breathe. But I still sang and I still played. We got through it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, Billy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and uh, love the new Mr. Big album. I've had the Winery Dogs album now, the new one. Brilliant, love it. Just love everything you've done. So thank you. Just keep doing. I really you. appreciate you. You listening and taking the time with me today uh, it means a lot to me. And uh, I know it's, you're probably sick of me from uh, seeing me on two different bands, but I do appreciate it. <laughs> no, no, that's that's as long as the music's good, Billy. I don't mind, and the music is good. Beautiful. All right, Billy. Well, Wonderful, have, man. Have a good rest of the day and take care of yourself. And I hope to see you out there when you're on tour. I hope so, bro. All right, Billy. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, there you go. Richie's talk with Billy Sheehan. Before we move off on this one, what do you say we play a little bit of uh, Billy's bass solo off of the Live in Santiago release? why as a bass player it's pretty damn tough to follow Billy Sheehan and again if you're interested in getting yourself uh, any of those editions of the uh, of the Winery Dogs live in Santiago CD DVD all that good stuff again you can go to winerydogs.com they got a link over there that'll kick you over you can get uh, downloads or physical copies of all of that stuff so up next Richie got a call from Ollie Brown the uh, guitarist and singer and also founder of the band Raven Eye. These guys are on Frontiers Records and put out their first one or their first full length called Nova yeah, way back in the fall. Just pretty much hitting the U.S. about now. But these guys have had a pretty good history formed back in 2014. One of the first tours they did was backing up Joe Satriani over in Europe. They've uh, backed up uh, Deep Purple and Richie gets into them about backing up Kiss. And I believe at the time that uh, Ollie was reaching out to Richie, they were actually on tour with Chevelle. So these guys have picked up some great tours 
touring all over the U.S. Definitely a little something different than we see usually from a lot of the bands from over in uh, the U.K. on Frontiers. We don't usually see them over here very much, but these guys are obviously very dedicated to coming over to the U.S. and touring the shit out of themselves over here. So I have to give them thumbs up for that. And before we get into the interview, just let you know that uh, if this sounds like something that you like, the music and stuff, that uh, you want to find out more about them or you want to maybe even get yourself some Raven Eye merch, you can go to Raven Eye Official, and they got news, tour dates, all that good stuff. Also, a good store, lots of deals, and all he talks about them being a DIY band, doing all that stuff. They've even got this one thing they call it the whole flocking lot that for like 45 pounds, you get pretty much everything that's on the store, kind of a thing. So, definitely head up there if you're interested in getting any type of Raven Eye merch or music. But right now, why don't I turn it over to Richie and Ollie Brown? Hey, is that Richie? Yeah, Ollie, is it? Yeah, it is. How's it going, man? I'm all right. Nice to talk to you. So how you doing, anyway? I know. You doing well? Yeah, really good, mate. Yeah, really good. Like, I think we're kind of like, you can definitely tell, like, it's kind of end of tour, kind of energy is, like, we're all kind of, like, falling apart, like, bruised and cut up. <laughs> <laughs> so where, where are you now? Um, we're in Dallas, and we're about to uh, head, head off to Austin. Okay. You playing gig tonight? Yeah, yeah. Gig tonight and a gig tomorrow in Houston. Okay. And then uh, we're finished for this U.S. trip. Okay, you're headlining? Yeah, yeah. So we kind of like, we did a few shows with um, Chevelle, and then we, um, yeah, the rest of them we kind of filled in between by going, just doing our own headline run. Nice, nice. So, like, I'm pretty... Yeah, it's been really fun, man. Great stuff. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty new to the band. Um, I got sent the album, I was completely, Nova completely blew me away, but I want to go back a bit now. Can you Can you tell me a little bit about how the band formed? Yeah, um, uh, basically, I've lived in Toronto for a couple of years, um, working as a solo artist, and I think I just as much as I enjoyed being it, just about me. I think I got a bit tired of the scene, and I just I wasn't really feeling motivated anymore. So, um, I kind of put breaking out. I tested the water with the single from the EP, and a few years ago, breaking out, it like just test the water if people were interested in it, and it kind of had an interesting reaction. So I'm like, you know what, I'm just gonna hit the reset button. Start again. I don't want any agency. I don't want any management. I don't want any label. I just want to go from nothing and work from the ground up and do everything myself. And assembled a UK team. So I kind of moved back to the UK and found um, two players, um, Aaron and um, the previous member before um, Adam took over. And um, we just kind of got started with it. We booked all our own stuff. I sent hundreds of emails to different promoters and um, radio stations and everything like that, trying to get as much promotion as possible. And you know, you get you reply you get a reply from five of them, but those are the five that count. And you know, we just kept them building up by ourselves and slowly assembling a team with us. And it's been the most incredible musical journey I've really ever experienced. It's been amazing. Yeah. So Aaron and Adam, like, were, were they in? Did you try other people out before them? Like, how how did you know that it, that it clicked with them? Um, Aaron, uh, like, before I even played with Aaron, Aaron and I kind of clicked immediately. I don't know if it's the fact that like the best way to kind of make friends with Australians to get drunk with them, um, <laughs> or you know, <laughs> yeah. we just had a, a wicked vibe and like he, he's a super hard worker and you, you can tell that and we kind of inspire each other and we had uh, someone previously that um, played band, band for a year and then we actually had Adam. Uh, Adam came in, the other guy left, and Adam came in and he kind of just here we got really lucky. We were going to audition a bunch of drummers and he was the first guy we played with and we're like, well. That's that's exactly what we needed. Yeah, after you know, trying trying to find that sound, we're like, well, this is the job we needed. So we cancelled the other editions and just went with Adam. Yeah. Now I'm curious, Ollie. Like, like, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 28. Yeah, I'm curious how a 28 year old can have a band that sounds like it's from the 70s. Like, you must have really good <laughs> parents. You must have great parents. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I, that's my music, man. Like. I love I, I love that scene. That's, that's kind of well. I originally like because I was playing blues. I kind of found all of the, the blues bands, and that's my main focus. And you know, obviously, blues progressed into rock and bands like Zeppelin and Sabbath, and you know, some of, even some of the early Stone stuff is you know really blues driven, and that's kind of what influenced my writing. Yeah, I, like you know, and how did you end up on Frontiers Records? Like, was there other labels sniffing around as well? Yeah, um, to be honest, man, like we. But when we started this thing, I I already been signed before, so the novelty of being signed to a label definitely was gone. And we were kind of 
and a mindset that like there's so many ways you can raise money as a band now, like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, and there's so many different things you can do that you can kind of still keep everything and you know keep as close to time as possible. We we kind of we didn't jump at it at first. Um, they they kind of kept in touch with us over the past like several months and like just kind of see what's going on and say, hey, look, you know, like to arrange this with you. And we kind of our main thing was sticking to what we want and what we want to do. And they they were really great at honouring that. They were awesome with us. They were, they kind of really sat into place and really understood our vision. And I think that's you know when we bring someone into our team now, we really want someone to understand who we are and you know don't come in and start sticking your fingers in and you know trying to shape us to be what you expect us to be. And I think that mindset just really helps us and gain some respect for the frontiers. And they've been awesome with us. Like it's a really exciting label to be part of. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because. We, we've had, a, you probably know Nathan James from Inglorious. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, we've had him on the show, and we've had a lot of Frontiers acts on the show as well, and they can be very, very hands-on in how they want it to sound. But when we had Nathan yeah. on, he said that the album was actually done, and then Frontiers signed the band. Now, did you actually have the album already recorded? Was it the same with you? Because it's on, like, I've never had someone come on, on a, with a young band and say, Designed with Frontiers, and Frontiers basically left you alone to make the album sound the way you wanted it to sound. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of it's funny. Um, we um we signed we signed on with them. They we kind of said who we were going to produce it and record it. They didn't ask for any songs, didn't ask to hear any demos, and we just went into the studio on their budget and recorded the album. And then they finally had the new songs and all the songs we wrote after we finished the record, and it was that was awesome. So they they were really good with us for that because they didn't they didn't hear any of the songs they had no idea what to expect and we were like well here's the album that you uh, help front <laughs> that's unusual <laughs> I'll be honest yeah that's that's it man and uh, yeah it really was uh, you know and we really respect that I'm really grateful for that yeah and they didn't ask you to change anything when you handed it in of course no 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 it was already mastered it was done it was finished excellent and it sounds like it was recorded live w- would that be true. Yeah, like we recorded the drums and bass together when we could, and um, for the most part, like the room we were in was this massive, massive library. Like it was this giant box, and like Riker, the producer and engineer, he um, Warren, he he's a really he's like a mad genius with like trying to capture sounds and and vibes. Like he he really wants to keep the authenticity of it just being a three piece. Yeah, and he had like mics in every corner of the room, and like in like weird little crevasses and stuff. Like he's just one of those guys that just wants to get every possible sound and kind of mold into this, you know, Goliath kind of tones and yeah, he's he's did a really wicked job with the record. Like he's he helped produce like and mix the E P breaking out and he was the kind of the first person that really understood the sound of Raven Eye before, you know, I really realised what, what its potential was. Yeah, and you you even recorded it old school by the sound of it. Like you didn't record it in your bedroom or anything like that. You actually spent the time to find a room Make it sound, make yeah. it sound the way it sounded. So you wanted a big sounding '70s album, for want of a better word. Mister, wanna be hopeless? Where's the message of purpose? Falling under your worthless. No surrender, now you're back as the beginning. So while you're on top of the game, y'all wanna the same. Put the finger on the trigger, put the bullet in the back of my brain This is the final attack 
Exactly. Yeah, I really wanted that. You know, I think like when we recorded the record, the main thing that we were really looking for is that is is an album. Like I feel like um, I feel like when I hear some of the rock tracks, you know, rock albums at the moment, like it just I, as, as great as they are, like it kind of it feels like individual songs. Like it doesn't really feel like a cohesive thing. Like all my favorite records are like super unknown as my favorite record of all time, and it's such a cohesive record that you can't listen to it any other way from start to finish. And the same with like um, Songs of the Death as well. It's a wicked example of an album that's it's a real saga. Like you follow the whole journey of it, and those are my favorite albums. So when we recorded, we were like we had loads of songs when we came into the studio that we liked, but we had to never, never, never ended up recording because it didn't fit the journey, the sonic journey, and we really wanted something that takes you on a trip, you know, ups and downs, and like has you know some flow to it, and that was kind of our main priority on recording that album. Yeah, now I, I want to get into the tour in the US in, in, in a few minutes, but I am curious now, um, can you tell me what the music scene is like in the UK, especially when it comes to radio airplay for bands like you? Does, does commercial radio, uh, like, is, it, is it pretty good or is it tough? Uh, no, I think I think in the UK for commercial radio, like I mean, you got stations like Planet Rock back and you know giving us some love, which is amazing. But I think FM, we just don't even bother bother looking at it really because it's just so it's so different in the UK in the way that you know builds up and like our kind of main power and sources and social media at the moment. Like we do so much of that all the yeah. time, and we keep we always reply to everyone. Like we just love keeping in touch with everyone and building up, you know, our own kind of family, and it's. It's cool. That's probably the best tool we can have as an independent band, rather than the relying on the UK, you know, FM radios. Yeah, and, and what what about the live scene in the UK? Is a lot, you see a lot of over the world, like a lot of the venues are getting closed down. Is it, is it difficult in the UK to get a run of shows together? No, like I mean, it, uh, definitely it's it's sad seeing like some wicked venues closing down in the UK and. Luckily, like we, you know, we do quite well. Like because of my crew, we had previously, I had previously before Raven Eye. We pulled in some of that crowd to kind of give this a chance to listen to Raven Eye, and we're, we're building up really nice. We've had, I think, three, three, maybe four tours in the UK. It's nice to see it grow into like bigger rooms, like London. We had a full two hundred fifty people that were just nuts. Because like, our show is pretty, pretty full on, and. You know, the support shows are, are wicked because you get to have people to see who we are. But when people know who we are and we come to a gig, they know what to expect. And those are some of the funnest shows, you know, to get to play because everyone's fully into it and the crowds are wicked and the venues are really looked after us over there as, as well. Yeah. And what I have to ask, what's the toughest show you've played? Has it been on the U.S. tour? Um, Toughest show we played? Yeah, crowd-wise, like, you know, where it's... it's crowd I'm trying to think, like... We had, um, we had, and I think it's like, I don't know if like crowds sometimes are hard or like they just feel like they listen to music differently. Like when we play Finland, like there's such a different crowd to what we're used to when we're playing the Kiss one. They're like really quiet, respectful. Like even when Kiss were playing, even when Kiss were playing on stage, they were, um, they were sitting down and just really listening to the show. Like, and it's a rock show. You know, you can't want people to be jumping about and going crazy, but that was a pretty weird experience to kind of go through. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was kind of the main the, the main kind of difference we've had really when we um sorry, I was hopping into around there. When we travel with Kiss and play to that crowd, that's probably the toughest crowd because I think they just they just listen to music differently or they appreciate it very differently. Yeah, I, th- I think one thing I find, and you, you can tell me like if you agree with me, but over here in the US, I'm living over here in the US like seven years. They're a little bit more fickle here when it comes to the music. That if if you, the loyalty in Europe to me is absolute. That once they grab onto you, they don't let you go. Over here, it's a little bit more like, "What have you done for me lately?" Do, do you get a sense of that uh, when you're on the stage? Uh, no, I tell you, what, uh, some of the uh, it's been crazy. These we've kind of got lucky with these crowds. I don't know whether it's from the. the we played a festival called Ship Rocks, and that brought a lot of people through all over the US. Cause it's, it's a festival on a boat, a rock festival on a boat, and yeah, yeah. absolutely crazy. And um, they they've been really receptive. Like it's been they've been full on. Like we just played yesterday in Dallas, and just everyone was jumping. Like it was really full on, man. Like I we've kind of got lucky. Like when we played New York, like I thought New York would be quite a quiet, reserved gig, but yeah. it was a completely opposite. It was one of the best gigs, best gigs we played. So. I don't know if I played enough to kind of see the, the fickle side of, of America, but so far we've kind of definitely got the lucky side of the straw if that's the case because it's been it's been amazing for us. Although 
like I said, I think that's why we're physically we're wrecked because we're jumping even higher. Like you know, that's the kind of perpetual energy that you know the more people are giving us, the more we start giving them. And uh, yeah, like <laughs> I've got RSI kicking in really badly, my back's all screwed up <laughs> and stuff, and jumping around. So. Yeah, how, how do you deal with um the, the sheer size of touring over here, the traveling? Like, because that's bound to like it affects people in a lot of different ways. Like some people need space, others. They're more closely bonded to the bandmates and like, but you're stuck on a bus, you're going thousands of miles all over the US. That has to have had its like, its upsides and its downsides. Um, well, we were in a 15 passenger um, Chevy van, so definitely no bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's just, just the four of us actually that we have. Usually it's just Aaron and I that drive on these tours. Yeah. Um, we had a, um, a really close friend of ours. Uh, Jerome Rod is an amazing photographer as well. It's come on the road with us to help do some of the drive-in and, and travel with us. So it's just the four of us, like, we're all kind of next to each other right now. It's quite a tight fix. We've got to fit all the gear in the, uh, the van as well. And, you know, when you go to hotels, we'll just pick one room and we'll sleep on the floor, sleep on a, you know, we'll get a roll-out cot and share it. And, you know, luckily, like, we're all, we're all grafters. Like, we all just, we do this because we love music and there's no drama. No one's, a pain, you know. No one needs anything in particular. Like, we're all really easygoing people, which makes which makes this possible. I think the way we tour, we tour on a tight budget, and we're pretty rough. And we, uh, you know, travel and how we do it. And you know, the drives we always do two-hour shifts to keep everything even as well. So between the three of us, a two-hour shift you can get six hours, and we have to drive for two hours. You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so we have our we have our ways of getting around. Yeah, um, like the reality of touring the U.S. now. Um, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from it that maybe, you know, you, you came over with expectations here and the reality was what? Like, what 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 have you learned from it that just surprised you, maybe? Um, that's a really good question, man. Um, I think I think we've learned that to build something, we've got to just keep coming back. Like, we you can't just do, you know, one one tour a year in the U.S. Like, it's so big. There's so many places to cover and it's, it's finding the way your strengths strengths are so like we find areas that you know we've done had amazing full shows out in the US and the shows have been you know on the quieter side compared to different locations so we know when we come back we'll go to the certain spots that are really kicking ass and then the parts that aren't we'll figure out what we need to do like what radio needs to go or like how we need to push that to figure that certain area because each area's got its own pocket of people and like it's not like the UK I mean it's funny the UK you can drive 30 minutes and then there'd be a massive different crowd. Like, some people won't bother, but it's like, everyone just comes here. Like, we've had people traveling from all over to come and see particular shows in different areas. But it's definitely that, you know, we need to come back. We're going to be trying to aim to come back, like, three times a year. And we've got plans this year to actually come come back in October as well as December at the moment. Wow. Excellent. I don't think you actually played around me. I'm just outside of Boston, so I don't think you were here this time. Might be wrong. Oh, uh, no, we we did we did play Chicago, I'm trying to think what we played in the big kitchen in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, New York, you said you did New York, so that's probably... Uh, oh, no, oh, it's quite, yeah, Boston, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm completely from Boston. Yeah, that's okay, no, yeah. See, that's, a, that's when the size of the country gets you. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, long, how long have you been over here for? Seven years. Amazing, man, amazing. Are you yeah. enjoying it? I love it, yeah, my wife's from here, it's, you know, two kids... None of them sound like uh, me. Close your eyes, come to
Scully, I have to ask you about the Kiss tour. Um, did you hear the rumour that you were going to be offering that beforehand, or was it just completely out of the blue? Um, yeah, we, I, heard, I heard that, there, that we were kind of being pitched for it. Like, we, we get pitched for quite a lot of tours, and like, you kind of just, now you're kind of like, yeah, okay. You know, you don't really listen to it. Like, oh, yeah, we're pitching for this. And it's like, okay, cool. Because every other band getting pitched for those things. So we never really, I never really pay attention to it now. And then all of a sudden, like, I was in a nice restaurant, and uh, my girlfriend, like, we were, like, we're trying to take some time away, and, but one place that I use my phone is when I'm at Eaton, and we picked up a real nice place, real nice treat, and all of a sudden my phone's, like, just going crazy in my leg, and I'm like, uh, and I was just like, I have to answer this, like, I've got a feeling I need to kind of know what it is. And then it's, um, I missed several calls from management, and then Aaron actually called me, and he realized where, he knew where I was, and he's like, you can't say anything, can you? And I'm like, no, but he's like, you know what's happened, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, we've got the kiss tour, and we're in this fancy restaurant, and I'm trying not to, like, jump about and scream my head off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I it, was, it was crazy, man. Yeah, I, I am curious, Ollie. Um, was there someone in the band heard your album? Oh, yeah. Well, um, um, the way we got picked is that Gene and, Gene and Paul are really hands-on with who they have as support, and it's, it's up to them, so they've got to set the records, and then they have to decide who they want to bring out. So... Which is, which is even kind of crazy, you know. It's not just an agency just kind of saying, "Yep, we'll do it." It's like they want to help young bands get out, so they gave the album a listen and put us down on the race. It's incredible. I have to say that you know, a lot of the older bands, that arena-sized bands, they don't have to do that. They can get an already established no. band and sell tickets that way. And the fact that they're willing to bring out a young band like yourselves, like I saw. Kiss with I think it was with Def Leppard a few years ago, and they brought out this Canadian <laughs> band called Cobra and the Lotus as a, as the opener. Yeah, Cobra and okay. the Lotus, and um, again another young band, and they went out of their way to to bring them out on the tour. So I, I did you get yeah, a chance, did you get a chance to sit down with Gene and Paul and talk to them a lot at all, or were you just crossing paths the um, way? I I didn't. Aaron Aaron got to fly in the the private jet with Kiss because he played because um which we still don't forgive him for. Um he was he's a golfer and he and the Kiss manager found out he played golf, so he's like, oh, do you want to go play golf? And we we're kind of like, oh look, you got to mingle with Kiss manager, you know. We'll do the drive seventy six hours. Wow. Two can do it, so just go and do the golf thing and like. So he went and did that. We we drove across the side and then so he had a long chat with him like he went to have dinner the guy was like because originally I was going to get a train to us and then the, the manager was like oh you know what, what's you know how are you getting there and like Aaron said I'm going to get tra- train tomorrow and he's like oh well, just just come and stay with us so he got in a, a bloody hotel room at the Ritz got him dinner <laughs> and then he's like okay we're going to we'll just just come and fly in our private jet come in the jet with us and of course this is where we have the worst day driving where I just did a three hour shift and then I'm switching over with our um, store manager and we got pulled over randomly by the police for no good reason in Germany and they ended up giving our driver um, a breathalyzer and a pee test it turns out that um, the back doors he's got have like an opium in them to help his back but the German police thought it might be heroin so they decided to find they find him 700 euro and ban him from driving and then they made me piss in a cup to prove that I wasn't on drugs so I um because they were convinced that we had drugs in the van. It was hilarious. The guy came in and kept an asking us, and when he's walking me to the toilet so I can pee in their cup, he's like, you know, we're going to find out now. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll piss in whatever you got, mate. I'm totally clean, so. Wow. Um, and, and then, so we did that. We kind of driving, and then I get a video message from, because it's my birthday, I get a video message from Aaron on the private jet, and everyone's wishing me a happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> So you should have played golf. You should have learned golf. Oh man! Yeah, you know that's it. Not not because of actually uh, Aaron getting on private jet, but I'm now taking golf lessons just just out of circumstance. (laughs) Dan. Yeah, you'd be surprised what musicians do under time under time off. You know, you gotta you gotta kind of get with it before you go out on tour. Yeah, I know, man. I can't that, cause <laughs> I will, Aaron, Aaron is really smug because we always take the piss out of him. Like every time we drive by a golf range, and he, he like his eyes, he pricks up like a you know dog's just you know found that his food's going to be open. Like he just gets all giddy and stuff. So we always laugh at him, and he's watching YouTube videos of golf. And we're like, oh, god, it's so boring. 
If your yeah. golf is so boring, then all of a sudden he's the one on the private jet. So I guess karma really uh, showed us a good lesson there. <laughs> yeah, so of course the album Nova <laughs> has been out a while now. Uh, I, I'm curious yeah. now, when you're playing the songs live, um, do you play them the way they are on the record, or do you have a chance to like do some improvs with them? Which one has grown the most live, do you think? Um, it's a bit of both. Like there are songs that kind of just need that need to be the kind of the way they are. That they feel like the best representation is like like inside kind of stays the same. Yeah. Um, but those songs like songs like the jam, you feel like want to feel you and my love. Um, those kind of lead parts really kind of open up in the live show because it's kind of just follow me and we'll just take it to you know as far as we can take it and as trippy as we can get it and uh, it's kind of funny it, it changes all the time but right now I want to feel you is one of the ones the best feeling songs to me that's kind of really developed more as we play live okay just because of that jam section like the more everyone understands each other the more we listen to each other the more we're learning as a live band when it comes to improvising there's a whole different ballpark than just playing the songs because you've now got to listen to what's happening in the moment and respond to that so the drums have got to respond to it what I'm doing in this moment like does he feel there or does he just lay the groove down and like we just kind of really got a good synchronicity really developing between that so that one's definitely one of the, the most fun to play at the moment yeah now I, I've had different guys on the show some say they can never ride on the road and others say that they, they can ride on the road Where do you, which line do you fall in? Um, both yeah yeah I like it depends like because right the, actually this trip I had the full intention that we're going to ride it all the time but we're, we're kind of pushing ourselves I think it was when it's, it's super hot weather and then going into air conditioning like we're all pretty exhausted now between the driving and loading and everything it's, we're, we're, but usually we try and write a bit on the road when we can just because it's fun you know it's fun yeah. to plug in and like get some new songs and you sound check and you just give them a bridge to go and have some fun but I never try and take songwriting too seriously because it, it's just songwriting if song doesn't work out it's all right, you know. There's worst things that can happen. Yeah, you, could, you could not write any songs without an album. So we just we just try and write when we can and we get the moments. And you know, if the song doesn't work out, who cares? <laughs> you know, we don't have to record it. Yeah, I remember. Um, I think I had uh, Kip Winger on the show about a couple of years ago, and he said, if, "If if if the idea is crap, why keep working on something that's crap? Just get rid of it." Yeah. Totally. And then you steal a riff from it, like maybe there's a riff that's really good from that song, and then you just go, all right, great, I'm going to lift, you know, copyright yeah. free as well, because, you know, it's your riff. <laughs> so, when do you think you're going to go back into the studio? Like, you, do you want to go back in before the end of this year, or, or do you think you're just not going to have any time with all the touring? I, I want to go back by the end of this year, but I, I'm, from the looks of our schedule, I don't think we're going to have much, much of any time really um, at the moment. So, I've well, I think we're going to work on like early next year, like the first quarter of next year, to get back in because that's that's long enough. Like the you know the record, we're almost getting you know getting towards a year old now. So we we I do like to record it sooner, but the schedule keeps on getting getting busier at the moment. Like they're they're like we're going to be pretty full for the whole of this year now. So that's which is awesome, but it means that the songwriting takes a bit of a well, the album takes a bit of a pushback. Yeah, of course the album's out now, Ollie uh, Nova. I, I I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, can you? Thank just, you. Oh, thank you. Man. No problem. Can you just tell tell people where they can reach you on social media? Give out all the links. Yeah, um, if you go on to if you look up it's Raven Eye on any social media, that's us. Like we can have like YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, forward slash it's Raven Eye. It's us. We run everything ourselves. RavenEyeOfficial dot com. If you want to buy merchandise. We're on the road, so we can't post it, but we all post it ourselves as well. So we do we're do it DIY bad, you know. We we like to kind of keep everything in house. So we just keep in touch with say hello to us, and yeah, we'll see you around. Fantastic, Ollie. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope to. What have you got? Three dates left? Yeah, two dates now. Yeah, two dates now. And then you fly back to the cold England. Yeah, no, I know. To be honest, mate, I'm I'm ready for I'm ready for the cold weather. This, this hot weather is brutal here. <laughs> yeah, you're ready to drive on the left hand side again. Wicked, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. All right, Ollie. Well, I'll leave you go and uh, have a good rest of the day. And it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care of yourself. You.
All right, Metalheads, that will do it for Richie's chat with Ollie Brown of Raven Eye. And again, if you want to find out more about that band to get yourself some music or merch, it is Raven Eye Official. And of course, if you go there, up on the top of the page, you'll get all the links for Facebook and Twitter and all that good stuff. Talking about all those uh, links, if you want to get a hold of us, you can always go to focusonmetal.net and all the links are up there, as well as at focusonmetal.blogspot.com. We put some news up there as well as show notes and that good stuff as well as being on Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to use good old-fashioned email, you want to send us a question or comment, you can shoot that to shout at focusonmetal.net. So uh, with those out of the way, uh, that's a wrap for this week. Another week of Focus on Metal has gone by the boards. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. Hope you guys are also enjoying our continuing Kerrang! series. We're working through that throughout the year. Hopefully this time we'll actually close it out within 2017, but I don't know. We're heading on to episode seven, and we are also heading towards September. So so who knows? There is some hope, but uh, Richie keeps pulling out more and more guests all the time, partly because the guests we have on keep suggesting more people to talk to, and they are more than willing to uh, go and regale us with stories of uh, the Kerrang! days. And uh, we're thinking tentatively next week, probably running the Sylvie Simmons part two of the Kerrang! series. I actually haven't even listened to the second part yet, but uh, Richie says that it is actually way better than even the first part, and the first part was fantastic. said she's got a lot more great stories to tell, so uh, we're thinking right now probably doing that next week. But between now and then, if uh, you're looking for something else to listen to, as always, telling you to go over to earpeeler.com where you can discover more great shows like uh, you know our friends over at Mars Attacks or our friends at Radioactive Metal, or our good buddies over at The Decibel Geek, or even Bob Nalbandian with his Shockwaves, or all the great one-on-one podcasts with Mitch LaFawn, or even uh, the guys over at Talking Metal. There's all kinds of great stuff over at Ear Peeler. That's like a tip of the iceberg. That's just a few of the great folks that uh, that we know in this little community that's trying to promote hard rock and heavy metal. And while I'm at it, you know, talking about Bob just reminded me, if you haven't gotten all of the Inside Metal DVDs, Go out and get those. Bob's got uh, part one and part two of the Pioneers of L.A. Metal, as well as part one and part two of the L.A. Metal Scene Explodes. And uh, due out on November 3rd will be the uh, first part of the Rise of L.A. Thrash Metal and uh, probably followed early in 2018 with part two of that one. A lot of great metal docs for uh, you guys to uh, view by Bob, so definitely do yourself a favor, go out and get those for yourself. So there's your update on Bob Nalbandian. But uh, you know what? For this week, uh, I think that uh, we are going to call this one done. So for Richie and myself and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, as always, saying, have yourselves a great metal week, and remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Go home.